windows, lock your doors, keep your loved ones near, time is running out, it's here for fear! Hi, we're here for fear, and I'm Donovan. And I'm Rick. And this is the podcast where we talk about scary movies or movies trying to be scary. Today we are going to be chatting about uh, 1994's In the Mouth of Madness, uh, directed by uh, my favorite movie director, Mr. John Carpenter. Uh, let's uh, Before we jump into it, let's, let's do a quick uh, synopsis. Uh, with the di- disappearance of a hack horror writer, Sutter Kane, all hell is breaking loose. Kane has a strange knack for description that seems to bring his evil creations to life. Insurance investigator John Trent is sent to investigate Kane's mysterious disappearance and ends up in a quiet little East Coast town called Hobbs End. The fact that this town exists as a figment of Kane's twisted imagination is only the beginning of Trent's problems as John quickly realizes that Sutter Kane has unleashed a powerful evil force in Hobbs End and is changing the reality and perception of those who read his novels. What did you think, Donovan? You've seen this before, right? Yeah. I remember liking this movie when I watched it a long time ago. This is another one of those movies where I saw it as a kid, and it just kind of got warped in my head. For whatever reason, I thought Sam Neill's character was the writer, too. That somehow got like mixed in there somehow. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so this entire time, I was like, wait, isn't there going to be a twist at the end where Sam Neill was also the writer? <laughs> but like the twist is, you know, he's a, he's a creation of Sutter Kane's. Yes. Um, I think it's interesting that both in the movie and in your description, like Sutter Kane, who's, you know, obviously like this um like combination of like Stephen Keane and like HP Lovecraft. Yeah. He's like described as like a hackneyed writer, like he's a hack. But the guy sold over a billion books. <laughs> I know, I know. Like he has to it's not just like, oh yeah, this guy people like his books. Like there must be some sort of critical merit. There's like something going on there where it's not just a hack anymore is it is it because he's he's classified as horror so so people just call him hack because well you know horror is not uh you know it's not a legitimate you know it's like that joke in uh seinfeld where you know seinfeld and uh costanza are working on their tv show and they're like seeing their tv writers and everyone keeps laughing at them I think that's what, you know, being a hoarder right in the 80s must have been like, just like purely based on this movie. Um, Yeah, maybe. Maybe they just, they're looked down upon, you know, and that's why people say hack. I mean, but I think people respect like a a Dean Koontz or a Stephen King or like you said, H.P. Lovecraft or something like that. I I think there's a respect. I mean, there's probably less of them that people respect than, you know, I'm sure there's a lot more than what we're talking about, but. I think this just goes into like the you know ideas of like just genres as a whole. You know, people have a very specific idea of what a genre is, and they typically 
as an example, we'll go through like the worst films they've seen in that particular genre and use those as examples of why the genre is terrible. And I think horror had that for a very, very long time. I don't know when that change started to happen, but people these days definitely respect horror as a genre far more, especially when you have like, at least, you know, the past few years, uh, movies like um, Hereditary that follows, you know, movies that are actually trying to say something along with the scares. Yeah, I would almost, yeah, I would almost say you're right. I mean, I think there's a lot more uh, credibility or respect for horror writers. I I forgot to mention Clyde Barker's another really good one as well. Um, But I I think, you know, like something like those, those, those romance, those love romance, I would almost, you know, those to me seem more hacky, you know, than say horror novels or books. And that could be a failing on your part. There could be tons of great examples in that genre where there's like plenty of good, good writing. Um, But anyway, that's the world this uh, movie takes place in. Cedric Kane is a hack. A lot of people love his books and they're selling like hotcakes. Um, We'll find out later in this movie that part of the reason that's the case is because uh, if you're familiar with uh, Lovecraftian monsters, the old ones, which I think is a a, a very um, Lovecraftian idea where there's just like these beans these uh, unimaginable horrors, horrors yeah. that have some sort of like influence on, you know, regular humans. So the old ones in this story are kind of influencing the human world or our actual universe through Sutter Kane's writing. But in this movie, these guys have been sort of locked away, and we'll just say like another dimension. And so they're trying to get into our world again. Um, that's kind of like the backdrop for what's going on within this film. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Uh, the old ones are able to influence um, Sutter Kane in a way that kind of makes him God because his stories are actually happening. Yeah. They're coming alive. Basic, right. Basically. Um, that even includes full towns and people. Um, like a, a, they call uh, like a, an epidemic is essentially what they called this, you know? An epidemic. Right. Everyone, everyone is believe you know uh, drinking the drinking the Kool Aid on this thing. You know, um, is it, it, it? I know this again. This is a coincidence, but isn't it funny? Last week we did House, which followed a a, a horror writer, and now we're two we're doing In the Mouth of Madness that follows a horror writer. Again, coincidental. It wasn't planned, but I just I, I like finding little similarities uh, when we when we do something like that. We did that with uh, the Changeling and the others. It just was two movies we randomly picked and. They had a lot of stuff in common. Yeah, it's kind of funny how that works. It Definitely is. Definitely not. I mean, even some of the names we uh seen this week in that other movie are kind of similar, like uh, Cobb as the writer, and then we've got uh, Hobbs End in this movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, So did you uh, did you like the movie? I mean, you, you saw it before. Did you like it more or less the same as, as previously when you viewed it? I, I kind of like low key love this movie, or at least I love everything it's trying to do. Um, I'm a huge fan of Lovecraftian stories, even though I don't have too much experience with them. Whenever I see one, I, I, I'm always interested by the ideas being presented. And I just really love this idea of this man's entire existence only exists because he's a fictional character. He was brought into the world by a writer. And it's him trying to sort of grapple with that fact 
as he's trying to prove it, it's also all fake. So there's like this very interesting question of, you know, what is real? What isn't real? Um, how do we just distinguish the two? And does it even matter as long as we're able to perceive it anyway? Like this movie's kind of doing some pretty heavy stuff wrapped around in like this horror movie. And I think the writing's really solid. I think Sam Neill is like amazing in this. He's really good. Um, and then of course, John uh, Carpenter kind of kills it on the writing directing and his music's okay. Yeah, the music doesn't stand out like it does in, in previous films. No. Um, and I would almost argue that this is probably his last good movie. Uh, I, Vampires was pretty good. Uh, I think that was later. I want to say that was like 98 or something with uh, uh, James. Uh, is it James Woods? James Woods? I wouldn't know. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah I, he doesn't do a lot of stuff these days, but I think it's James Woods. But uh, Vampires wasn't bad. I mean, it was it was cool. It had some it had some good stuff going on. I would argue that's probably his last good movie after after in the mouth of madness. I think he did Village of the Damned, which was not good. Then he did Escape from L.A., which I wanted to love because, you know me, I'm a huge fan of Snake Plissken and Escape from New York. Escape from L.A. was terrible. I every time I I watch it, I am like thinking I'm going to somehow maybe like it more than I originally did. And it just it just doesn't happen. Um, I think he did, oh my God, he did that terrible Ghosts of Mars. What a piece of crap that was. I'm sorry. I mean, it's, uh, it was terrible. And then I think in 2010, he did the ward and I only saw that once, but it was, it was quite forgettable. So I would say, I would argue to say in the last, you know, since 1994, he's done two, two decent movies and he doesn't really direct anymore. I know he tours and does music with his son. Um, but he, you know, he gave us a ton of classics you know, from, from Halloween forward. So uh, we can forgive him for those other pieces of crap, but uh, I, you know, this is a good movie. I I like this movie. Um, I saw it when it came out in the theater in 94, Um, probably saw it right when it came back on DVD or VHS, whatever was happening in 1994, watched it a few times in between. And then again, watched it uh, again recently. I liked it, but you know, it's, what's funny is I don't think I liked it as much as I initially liked it. So I don't know if that's just me getting older and my taste changing a little bit. Um, I don't know. Well, when you're watching another movie or, or the same movie multiple times, you have the opportunity to examine it again, even more so because now you're able to sort of analyze all the stuff that you probably didn't on the first watch because now you already know the plot and the characters and where everything is going. So you can kind of just look at the filmmaking. So for this movie, maybe there are just aspects of the writing, the acting. The plot itself, where you're like, yeah, maybe that just doesn't work for me now. Well, acting was really good. Music was a little, little humdrum. It was kind of boring, especially for a, for a John Carpenter film. But it was '94, so you, you know, he's not going to do the vintage, you know, like um, synthesizer stuff. You know, that's not going to happen in '94. So I, it was a little flat for me. I thought the acting was fine. I think the story's cool. Um, there's some really you know, some really cool stuff happening um, throughout the movie, you know? I'm not sure why it didn't all coalesce into, like, a cool package. I think this movie could be better. Uh, But I think, as it is, I think it's a pretty good movie. It's still a pretty good movie. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't dislike the movie at all. I just don't think I liked it as much today as I did, say, in 94. um, This movie works for me. Um, The movie's pretty tight. I always love, like, a 90-minute horror movie. And this movie is moving the entire time. I almost feel like there's no scene wasted in this movie. Yeah. Um, um, so we know, so we know, uh, uh, John Trent played by Sam Neill is an, he's an insurance investigator. Basically they, people hire him 
and to to um to to uh sniff out fraud right and mm-hmm. you know we, we see that at the beginning of the movie really at the very very beginning he's in he's in a uh, insane asylum and some detective or i don't know police officer comes in interviews him you know what i i never caught until today was uh uh they were playing music over the the loudspeakers in the asylum, and it was the the group, the Carpenters. And then he goes, "Oh, great, the Carpenters!" And I thought that was his little stab. Maybe John Carpenter wrote that in because since he directed it, I thought maybe oh, that was like a little ha ha ha. I don't know. I mean, I, I I never caught that until today. So yeah, it could be a joke on that, you know, to do with his name, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, why else would you play the Carpenters? I don't. Which is the same song that was in that John Cusack movie uh, years later. What was that room or seven? I forget what that. I don't. I don't know. I saw it once or twice, but it was that John Cusack movie with Samuel Jackson, where he where he goes to uh, he checks into that hotel, and it's supposedly no one can stay the night in this room, and blah blah. Oh blah. yeah, I read the short story to that not too yeah, long ago. Yeah, I forget seventeen. I forget what it is. It's some number. It's not a bad movie. Um, the story short story is pretty good. Is it? I don't remember what it's called either. Damn. Yeah, like seventeen oh six or some some shit like that. But yeah. but they're playing the same Carpenter song in that throughout the movie. Hmm. So, but anyways, um, so he he's he's in the he's in the um I guess Nutty Ben the 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 investigator comes in and starts talking to him, telling him the story, and then of course we, you know, All right that acts as a the framing device for what we're going to get for the rest of the movie. There's no actual narration in this movie; just everything that takes place after that scene is his retelling of what happened to him to the officer. Um, What's interesting is I don't think we are going to, or I don't think the movie presents anything uh, John Trent is saying as unreliable. I think everything that's happened to him has actually happened to him. Um, So it, it is kind of strange that they're starting the movie with like a frame narrative where they're putting the story from the telling of his account. Because if you did that, then you could have like a whole another layer of fuckery that the movie decides not to go with. Because the movie is already kind of like weird as is, as we're trying to, or as John Trent is trying to uncover everything that is happening around this writer Sutter Kane, which is apparently a lot. Um. So after that opening scene, we're then introduced to John Trent, and he's really good at his job. Yeah. Because he's able to sniff out this one guy's uh insurance fraud get some real quick which is uh the actor has been in a ton of carpenter john carpenter loves to use the same people in his movies that guy had been in probably three or four other john carpenter movies yeah um i always like that actor but yeah sniffs him out from insurance fraud and and then you know the guy um like apparently this is the guy he's worked with before he's like hey work for me dude um and he's like <laughs> no and this is a cool scene in the background we've got like this guy with an axe just kind of walking towards the camera because they're sitting at a diner. So we're seeing this through the window across the street. I, that's, that's a really cool shot. I yeah. dig shit like that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then he, you know, this guy, I guess, Hey, do you read Sutter Kane? You know, breaks through the, breaks through the window, scares the crap out of everyone that's in this. Let's just call this a coffee shop or whatever. This is restaurant. And, and uh, John Trent or Sam Neill's character is <laughs> basically sitting there and this guy's got the ax and he just looks mad. Like mad and not in the sense of I'm angry, but just crazy, you know. I, I mean, he doesn't look mad at all. It does look like he's got a purpose. He he definitely looks crazed, and uh, 
We're not sure what's going on. John Trent certainly doesn't know what's going on. And this guy just had appeared from a bookstore that was selling a bunch of Sutter Kane novels. Um, I forget if we're quite there yet, but I think there might be even like some sort of news broadcast going on during this scene, scene prior or scene after where, you know, there's like some exposition talking about Sutter Kane's stories being sold out everywhere. The new book that's coming out is breaking records and there's just not enough books to go around. So there's almost like this movie is already laying down like this layer of mass hysteria around Sutter Kane. And now you've got like this crazed guy with an axe attacking a random person for seemingly no reason. We will find out later that this is the agent for Sutter Kane. Yeah. He has read yeah. the first six chapters of his manuscript. Um, he knows that Sutter Kane's writing is basically truth. Um, Sutter Kane himself will even like call his writing the Bible. So he knows that uh, John Trent is the one that's going to actually bring the old ones into our world um, just by handling the manuscript and taking it from like this Hobbs End, which is basically in this other dimension back into his world. We'll get, we'll get to it. Yeah. But, you know, John Trent is a lichpin and the agent knows that. So that's why this opening scene starts with him with the axe trying to kill John Trent. But that doesn't happen. He's shot down, and then, you know, John Trent continues to live. And then um, he's eventually introduced to the Sutter Kane case, where, you know, the publishing company is trying to hire someone to basically find the guy so they can basically get their money for some insurance reason. This is beyond me. Or just to confirm that he's alive. Yeah, you know, the um, insurance companies will take out policies on talent. You know, I mean, you know, uh, um, sports uh, sports stars do that on themselves. You know, they'll take out a large insurance policy just in case something should happen to them. They can collect on it. You know, you see that a lot in college sports. You know, like if you're going to be the number one draft and you're still playing college, you don't want to risk injury. So you take out a large, uh, a super large policy that it will pay out if something should happen to you. And I have seen that happen. Um Oh, so, so that's, that's what's happening here. That's what's happening. They take out a policy. They're trying to collect on it. He he had disappeared for what month or two? Was it two months or two weeks? I couldn't remember. It he's was gone something. for some period of time. Yeah, some period of time. No one know, knows where he's at. Um, so they, you know, yeah, they hire uh, they hire John Trent to to, to locate him. You know, um, uh, during the scene, we're introduced to Linda Stiles, who's played by Julie Carmen. She's kind of pretty good in this. What else has she been in? Let's find out. Because I know I've seen her in other stuff. Um, I just could not. I didn't look it up, and I couldn't remember. Um, but yeah, she is really good. Um, what, what is she's like the editor that's in charge of Sutter Kane's books, right? Or is is that what you call it, an editor? Yeah, she's an editor. Um, yeah. She was in Friday Night Part 2. Oh, gosh. I saw that so long ago. NYPD Blue? Nah, yeah. No, nah, okay. So nothing more recent that we would have, yeah. No. Um, but um, so yeah, so they're, uh, you know, uh, they hire him. Uh, of course, he's he doesn't believe any of this shit. You know, he's seen enough of fraud and and lies and deceit because you know this is what he does. I mean, he's really good at it. Um, people are always out to try to you know to 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 make a buck and and screw other people over. So, um, yeah. So, you know, they're basically maybe you should read this guy's books. So he buys a bunch of his books. Yeah, I don't know if he's bought the entire collection. I just I'd be surprised if the entire collection is only five books, but he buys five books. And they were six dollars. What 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 like 
I mean, I, I saw that. I mean, it was five ninety nine. I mean, that's a great deal, right? For a paper book, isn't that like still the price today? Is it really? Maybe it's like ten bucks. I don't know. It just to me, it seems so cheap. But you know, it doesn't matter. It's just you know, it's something I noticed in the movie. I'm like, yeah, I would a bestseller. I mean, it's funny you bring that up because that last episode of Better Call Saul, and we're definitely dating the podcast now. Mm-hmm. Mike Ehrmantraut is uh, at the library buying those books, and he's like buying like eight books for like twenty five cents each or something. Yeah, like two. So he $2. gives the the librarian like two bucks. I thought that was crazy. Like he's buying Moby Dick, one of the greatest books ever written. Was it Moby Dick? And there was Treasure Island and something yeah. else. I'm like, I know it's that crazy. And it's like 25 cents. Are you serious? There's something seriously wrong about that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he buys all of his books. He reads them. He starts having these weird dreams. Um. One's in an alleyway with a cop beating up some guy. Yeah, it looks like homeless guy. I mean, it'd be like you know, if you like your 80s punk type of character. Yeah, a delinquent who's spray painting on the. Yeah, spray painted on the walls, and or something. he's it's like ICA. We're gonna find out that it's you know it's supposed to be I can see. Um, that's gonna be alluded to. You know, this whole God complex that Sitter Kane has. I mean, it's actually true. It's not just a complex, at least within the the logic of the movie. Um, he's having that. He has it like back to back, and they're a little bit different each time. One, it's just like a regular cop beating up a dude, and then you can only see ICA. Then the next one is like, okay, he's beating up a dude, but now like the cop is like weird like he's almost like zombified i think he's yeah, got weird pupils bit. now um or is that the agent i don't quite remember no no it's the cop and and the cop, okay. yeah looks all yeah like you said kind of zombie-ish monster-ish just the, like uh, his skin is peeling apart you know yeah there's like a lot of off. yeah there's a lot of that throughout the film mm-hmm. uh, uh um, eyes bleeding you know um just weird weird stuff going on with their faces <laughs> nothing else that seems to be happening but definitely with their faces and and it could be as simple as, you know, you, you know, you read with your eyes and maybe it does. It does not, I'm, I'm not sure. But there's a lot of, you know, like my stuff interpretation like of this is like this idea of the old ones where like the horror is just so great. And our human minds and bodies are just incapable of withstanding like the knowledge and presence of these things. So they like literally deteriorate our body. That's my interpretation of what's going on with, you know, the body modification or, or i'm sorry transformation of the human body in this movie because it's not just like you know their skin starts to peel their eyes keeping going they also just turn into straight up monster and it could be just uh, you know uh sim- simply this is how kane wrote them and that's in their sure and they're you know that they have each they each have a role and and their role is supposed to play out a certain way and this is what you're seeing yeah so he has these dreams he's reading these books this will eventually lead him to noticing the covers and he's been told at this point that Sutter Kane, you know, does his own covers and he's like these weird red there's the weird red lines on the covers, cuts them all out, puts them together, turns out it's a map somewhere in New Hampshire. He's gonna go to this spot. That's where he thinks Sutter Kane is. Yeah, yeah, and he uh makes for a good promotional thing if you're a if you're a you know a publishing company, right? Yeah, you get a nice lunchbox. <laughs> you get a nice lunchbox. Right. Yeah. 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 Obviously, John Trent is like, well, this seems really fishy. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of my job to know this, and I'm pretty good at my job. Um, so, you know, the big publishing guy sends uh, Linda Stiles along with John Trent. I think that was Charleston. Was that Charleston Heston? Yes. That was. I mean, what the hell is Charleston? Tra- what the hell is he doing that little bit part in this movie? Did he owe John Carpenter a favor? I don't know. He I mean, he maybe just wanted to work with John Carpenter. Who knows? Could could be. Could be. He was just taking jobs here and there. I know he had a similar role in, I think, Any Given Sunday. It was kind of a similar small role. 
I, I don't know. Just something I noticed. I mean, we're talking about a legendary actor and he was doing this little bit part in this horror movie, you know? So it could have been just, he, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe he wanted to work with Carpenter. Maybe they lost, uh, maybe they were playing cards and he lost a bet to John Carpenter. Dude, and- <laughs> I don't know. It could be anything. Um, but, um, so anyway, so, so, uh, yeah, so there they go. He, he, they're uh, driving on their way to this place called Hobbs End. Yes. It, now I, there's no place on the map called Hobbs End. With, with Linda Stiles. With the, Linda Stiles. The editor. Yeah, the editor for the publishing company. You know what I like about this relationship is it's, there's no like, there, like there's no romance here. No, there like tries Linda, to be a little bit. She, yeah, but, but Linda but Stiles like forces herself on him almost as like, some reactionary thing like she's being compelled to do it outside of her will or it's as a stress relief thing but like john trent i was like no dude get away from me and i kind of dig that i don't know why i dig that but i'm into it um like the i think i think the reason i do dig that is because like romance in this story there's no place for it it doesn't need to be here it wouldn't enhance the story at all if this was just two people if this was a a early to mid 80s there would have been something going on there that's that's the that was the the formula back then right you know you'll see it in uh the fog uh heck i think you even see it in uh season of the witch halloween three it's like okay you got all this horror stuff going on weird stuff but there's always time for someone to hook up you know yeah in this movie it's just let's uncover the mystery of what's going on and all this bizarre shit and that's it yeah yeah pretty much and um, the, the that drive though the the bike the kid on the bike and then the old essentially it's the same kid but older on the bike is creepy yeah it's it's really almost a little bit unsettling and the way i took it and i'm sure i'm sure you took it the same way at least i hope you did is that this this is the way sutter kane sutter kane wrote this kid and he's just acting out whatever his role is and his role is to ride a bike you know and well the kid at one point says he won't let me leave um so i sutter kane must have this kid in some sort of like unending loop and it's probably gone on a billion times for him to just you know be a kid next thing be an old man and it's probably all happened off screen and there could be some like weird time dilation stuff because why couldn't there be where like this all happened like in between the first time Linda sees him and the second time Linda sees him, you know, but you know, I like that scene because it just feels like it goes on forever. Like this road just never ends. Yeah. And in a way it, you know, like the road is kind of leading to nowhere for, yeah, they're they're definitely lost. They can't find this Hobbs end. It's nowhere to be found. Um, you know, did you take the, did you, when, when she hit the, this kid, old man thing you know was that you do you think that was the you know the kid's way of saying give me you know uh put me out of my misery with this damn everlending cycle no or, i don't think that at all no not at all i kind of took it that way like this is never going to end for me how how else can i change this you know script hmm. no nah, i don't know just something um but uh, this doesn't doesn't the road disappear she's she's yeah. she's driving uh john is sleeping She's driving a uh, road, basically what disappears. And she looks out of the window and there she's, uh, she's in the sky, right? Yeah. She's doing some Dorothy stuff. Uh, the car is seemingly like floating, you know, like above like thundery clouds, lightning clouds. And then she hits uh, the tunnel. She goes through the tunnel that also just goes on forever. It's like a light show. 
And then when she comes out on the other side, it's not one thirty a.m. anymore. It's like in morning or daytime. Yeah, morning. And yeah. then they're in this, you know, Hobbs End, which is a fictional town. Yeah. But they're able to find it in the real world. And then over the next few scenes, Linda is slowly piecing together that this is Hobbs End from the story like Hobbs End Horror or something to that effect. Something like that. I forget that. what the book was actually called, but this is a Sutter King novel and everything is the same. Everything is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, this is where the movie starts to get pretty good for me. I'm yeah. This is all this. Yeah. This is really good. Does the small town not remind you of, of a, any small town in any Stephen King book? Cause, yeah. cause I mean, cause Stephen King, I think was big on writing in, in back East. Like, no, I thought it was like somewhere in Maine. Yes. Which is back East. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I always think of Maine as like Northeast. So I don't consider it as, I don't know. Whatever. New Hampshire, matter. Maine, yeah, all, Rhode Island, all those, yeah, you yeah. know, so so, I mean, totally spanks of of something from Stephen King. I mean, even the name Sutter Kane sounds like Stephen King, which, but which is weird. Other, I know other people have talked about this, but uh, like Stephen King exists in this universe. So why Sutter Kane, which is also like SK, same a number of syllables. It's always supposed to be based on Stephen King. Well, why does Stephen King exist here? Uh, it's just weird. Yeah, you know, like uh, whatever. Um, so they get there, they go to the hotel. Linda only knows the hotel is there because it's in the book. And then, you know, they meet this uh, old lady played by, do you know her name? No, I've never seen her. Frances Bay. She's been in a ton of stuff. Who I mostly know from uh, Happy Gilmore. (laughs) Yeah, his. That's uh, basically all I know her for. Oh, she's been in other (laughs) stuff. I can't think of it off. I've never known her as anything other than an old lady. Yes, that's true. I I would agree with that. I think everything I've seen her, she's been at least portrayed super old. Yeah, she's awesome though. She's, she's really good. As oh, like she's this really hotel good. Person. Yeah, she's really good. Um, and and in the book they describe her as almost like a creature, right? In in the book, and, and right. So like she's someone that chops up her husband as coleslaw, as John Trent says. Um, but she looks very very sweet and timid and you know kind. Um, but in like the Hobbs and horror book, like she, you know, kills her husband. Yeah. With a, like a, with an ax. With an ax. Doesn't seem like this person could do that. <laughs> yeah. This little old lady. Yeah. And, uh, when we first see her, she seems that way too. Um, so at this point, uh, you know, they check into the hotel. Linda's con- trying to convince John Trent that it's just like the book. And then she like points to the church, like, well, I mean, that's there too. Along with all this other stuff, how else would I have known that? And then they go to the church and we get some like weird scene with like uh, the town denizens coming to the church to confront Sutter Kane to get his boy back. I think it was like Johnny boy or something. <laughs> Johnny boy. And then, yeah, and then we get this cool scene with like the door, like the, the doors open and Johnny is there. The doors close. Johnny's still there. And then you do that like a few more times and the boys replaced with Sutter Kane. Yeah. Which is cool. I like, like that's Yeah. That's such a cool entrance. I enjoy scenes like that. Um, yeah. Like yeah. it's over the top. It's pretty hype. It's just cool. And it fits within the tone of the movie. Um, and this is our first introduction to Sutter Kane in person. Um, and then, of course, Linda somehow already knew the mob was going to be here. Um, and then Sutter Kane six all his dogs on like, all the Do- Doberman pinchers. Yeah. Yeah. I always feel bad for Dobermans because they're always portrayed they get, in this way. They get a bad rap. But they like all really dogs do. are good dogs. But they do. They go to town on these dudes. They, they, I, uh, real, real quick side story. When I was a kid, I used to walk home from school every day and I walked past this house and they had a Doberman pincher 
And that was my only experience. And that dog scared the hell out of me every single day, you know? And, and so that's my, really my only memory of Doberman Pinchers, but they always seem to be portrayed in a negative way. Yeah. And they definitely are in this, in this, uh, in this movie. Doberman Pinchers needs like a nice lawyer to get their representation, like into like good dogs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They need a better lawyer. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Uh, I don't think they actually speak to Sutter Kane here, do they? No, they do not. Okay, can you remind me what happens next? Well, I think they. I oh, think they go Lin- back to the hotel, right? Yeah, Lin- yeah. Linda and um, John go back to the hotel. I think this is where. I mean, definitely weird, weird shit is happening, and and I, I, I does she something happens with her, where. Um, that doesn't happen quite yet. No. So she tries to admit to Trent. That, yeah, most of this was fake. You got us. This was all promo stunts. But all this other stuff, this is really weird, and we did not plan for this. It was not Hobbs End. It wasn't all this uh, stuff that actually happened in the book. I don't know what's going on. And then Trent doesn't believe her. He believes that that's an act. Um, And then Linda goes to the church to confront Sutter Kane. And then we get some weird stuff. That's right. Cause she, cause she, yeah. Cause he goes to talk to the old, uh, uh, John does his character to talk to the little old lady. And I think this is, is this where the husband is handcuffed to her, to her foot Yeah, or his arm is handcuffed to her foot. So we start to see a little, a little crazy stuff with this old lady, but yeah, Linda, Linda, uh, books out of there, goes to the church. And of course, then we, you know, I love stuff with like the old man naked and, <laughs> just being chained to her foot and it's like he could easily overpower her you know like they're both old but i mean he's probably stronger than this little old lady and why was she naked or excuse me why was he naked it's just because it makes it makes for a for a cooler scene it makes for yeah it makes for a more like like disgusting image like you know she has so much power over him that yes i agree he's just like pure dirt to her um it's so gross and disgusting but i love it so much like this is it's also like almost entirely unexplained, but it affects you and it works within this movie because all this movie is trying to do is unsettle you and uh, make you question basically everything. A good way to make you question things is by putting you in situations where you just, well, what the hell's going on there? And that's perfect. That's a perfect example. Of yeah, because because we start seeing her. Obviously, we see that we see that her uh, it looks like she's been up for a whole week because she got bags and it, she she just looks terrible. I think even John makes a some sort of uh, uh, mention of, Hey, did you, were you up all night cleaning? You know, this is a big, this is a big hotel or something like that. Um, what did you think about the, the painting behind, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the painting near the, the check-in counter constantly changing. Um, you know, the, like it, it looked like a couple, they were walking along like the, I don't know, the, the, the Creek bed or the water bed. And then, and then all of a sudden it kept, they kept changing poses. And then, and then they were, uh, they almost looked like a, some of the people from they live, um, you know, when you can, when you put on the sunglasses, you can see, yeah. and then all of a sudden they were, you know, some cool creatures, you know, um, I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, you know, uh, we, we had talked about that in the past with, uh, you know, with phantasm stuff like that, you know, remember in phantasm where they're looking at the photograph and, you know, I like little stuff like that. I don't have too much thoughts on it. It's definitely like a weird little thing that's going on. Um, I don't think it, it probably wasn't necessary, no, but it's still not necessary cool imagery, you know, but like what it's doing is it's like putting the character in like this, 
it's like introducing him to like the supernatural aspects that are going on. It's making him question his reality and what's real or not. Is he imagining all this stuff happening? Um, as the viewer, it's most likely no. <laughs> but a, a character like John Trent, like when he's being forced to confront this very, very weird thing that he can't explain. And he does, he thinks everything is fake. It's, 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 it's almost like making him confront exactly what his reality is. It's not the supernatural bullshit. It's, uh, every, everyone is trying to play a trick on me so they can drum up some insane publicity. Um, but for us, it's just like this weird spooky stuff that's going on. And he just, he always seems to try to have a reasonable explanation for it. Oh, those are great special effects. Or those, you guys are great actors. Like everyone is in cahoots with this thing. Yeah, it even starts to get pretty funny at some, at one point. Um, like there's a scene later on in the movie where Lydia's gone like full monster mode. And uh, she like goes like spider walk on him and her head. Oh, Linda. Her, Oh, what did oh, I say, Lydia? Lydia? I'm like, yeah, Linda. I think, yeah, she did else. go all spider walk. I and he's exactly. like, oh, that's really good. Good job with that one. <laughs> yeah, her head like twists around and she's all contortioned. And it, that definitely reminded me of uh, it, reminded me of spider walk and it reminded me of some of the stuff from the thing again, mm. John Carpenter. So he, you know, yeah, he, I like John Carpenter because he does this weird net, like he'll keep like a human head on something, but I'll put it like on a neck that's too long. Yeah. Or, like, you know, he'll like turn it upside down. It's really cool. It's very unnerving. <laughs> it is. Um, it is. Yeah. But you know, Linda gets that way because she goes to see Sutter Kane at that same church we were just at. She steals the car, goes to the church, she confronts him, and then uh, we get this cool scene where she goes into the church. She goes to the door. She's a typewriter. She closes the door, goes back the way she came. There's someone typing at the typewriter. Goes back, and the room is entirely different. It's like some like Silent Hill stuff where like the walls are like blood red and kind of like moving or pulsating almost. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Sutter Kane is there typing away at his typewriter and he's typing in the manuscript for his newest book in the mouth of madness. And then she talks to Sutter Kane. Um, and he even like, he has most of the book written at this point. He introduced, or he shows her the, the book and he, she just like, gets beamed the knowledge into her brain. And he like asks her about what, you know, like, what do you think? Yeah. How do you like the ending? Um, is that, can't we also see that like door, like that door holding back all the old ones right now? Yeah. Is that there right now? Cool. Yeah. Almost like a big old large wooden door that seems to kind of almost push out like someone's trying to push, you know, push yeah. through. Um, and then I the I forgot about the part um, where she goes to hug him or something. And, and yeah. the other side of him is this. Like Lord Voldemort. Type yeah. I forgot all about that. Me too. I didn't remember that. No, I didn't either. Um, and then I'm like, and it came, I'm like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. And within the context of the movie, like that thing, that's like one of the old ones. And you can, we can kind of like interpret that as one of the old ones has physically attached himself to the body of Sutter Kane, maybe to just act as an, as an antenna or something like that. I don't know. So he can like, the old ones can communicate to Sutter Kane and, you know, let him write whatever they need to write. Um, so, you know, when Linda sees the book or when the book is being into her head, she's basically under the influence of the old ones. Her body's going to go through some weird shit. Her brain is all fucked up. You know, like Linda is going through a change. Um, I do believe she heads back to yeah, the hotel. I think she does. Yeah. She's very out of it. Um, I think at this point, Trent has already seen 
the hotel lady he may have or is that about to happen he, he may have seen her yeah that, that is a cool part too yeah and we get the you know there's a scene where you know we've been alluded to that in the book hops and horror whatever it's called i'm sorry um that the hotel manager chopped her husband up like a bunch of coleslaw and we get to see that she's and she's not, some sort of creature right you know so, uh, does she have like you know like um she has like tentacles tentacles chest right? or whatever. yeah and she's yeah. like huge and you know she's strong enough to like keep the husband chained and just top chop him apart chop him apart and, I think- <laughs> and if we you know trent sees that and he's like unnerved <laughs> by it but he still must be thinking like oh that's pretty good <laughs> he, he's he's still he's like he's freaking out but he's like he knows there's a trick to it all yeah he he sticks to it though yeah. i mean almost through this whole damn movie he sticks to the fact that oh no this is all fake this isn't real no matter what seems to be thrown at him, he's got he's got some sort of explanation or something for it. But um, I think he goes up to the the bedroom and that's where L- Linda is. And I think she's in the bathroom and mm. and then I think he doesn't he see the uh, tentacles underneath the um, yeah underneath that's, the door. That's Again, like this so is so much like the thing. This is so much the thing, dude. I yeah. mean, this is vintage John Carpenter. I love know. the like tentacles. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So he knows Linda. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of the movie is about to come up. So he he he's basically got the car back. That's how Linda got back to the hotel. So he's access to the car. And I, is he trying to get like the hell out of here at this point? I think so. Yeah, at the very least, he goes to the bar, gets some answers, talks to the Johnny boy dad again. Yeah. The Johnny boy dad kills himself. He makes a comment about, uh, you know, reality wasn't what it used to be. And, you know, John Trent is still like, well, this is definitely fake. You got speakers everywhere. The special effects <laughs> yeah. are crazy good. Um, and then he tries to drive off after the guy kills himself. And there's like a mob there. <laughs> My favorite scene in the movie is Linda like punches him yeah. in the face. Then he just punches her back. And then she like kind of knocks her out, gets her in the car because yeah. he still cares enough about her to yeah. like yeah. save her. And then she eats the keys. She tries to make out with him. He punches her again. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And then he, yeah, he takes the uh, the screwdriver, and somehow he's really good at getting you know popping off the the the, the part of you know in the steering wheel where you can get the yeah. car started. You know, he does that fairly quickly. I just, um, I just, John Trent is a man of action. He knows exactly what he needs to do. Yeah, he's good at his job. Anyway, he he drives off. He ends up. Uh, does he hit? I don't know. He's for some reason he crashes the car. No, he remember he keeps trying to get out of town, but he keeps ending up in the same. Why does he stop same... at the windmill though? You know the windmill uh, I place. Don't, I, oh, I don't, um, yeah, I don't remember. Does he see the kid in the? I phone think he's booth? yeah, the phone booth. Yeah, the old the old kid, the yeah. creepy one on the bike, and yeah. And this but, is where like that weird Linda scene happens. Yeah. Oh man, yeah the the the, the spider walk slash mm-hmm. you know something from the thing. Um, yeah, that was that's a pretty cool scene. But every time he drives, he ends up back in the same spot in the town. Yeah. Always seems to be in front of the town folk. You know, they, they got, what do they got? Axes and pitchforks and, you know, anything a small town would have. Right. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't even seem like they're trying to attack him. They're just being very threatening. At some point he's like, screw it. Tries to drive through them. Then Linda teleports like, or she's like in the middle of the crowd. Doesn't want to hit her. Yeah. Other guys who care about her, he soars out of the way, crashes the car. Then he wakes up in a confessional. Then we get some cool scenes with uh, Sutter Kane, where he's basically saying he's God. He writes the Bible. Everything he writes is true. You know, 
basically some uh, crazy gospel stuff, but in the context of the movie, it's all real. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he's the, he's, uh, yeah, whatever he writes comes to life. He's the, he's their messenger. Right. Yeah. And does he talk about the old ones here? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I know, I know at the very least in the, in a scene, like maybe right after this one where they're like in the writing room, um, he definitely kind of explains all of that. He he does. And then he also even explains that Trent, you're, you only exist because I wrote you into existence. Yeah. Yeah. And then Trent is obviously like, well, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Like uh, <laughs> trying to explain that one, you know, Trent is like slowly losing his mind as uh, he sort of unfurls all of this crazy stuff that's going on. Um, and, you know, the movie does this cool thing where it doesn't actually show the John Trent's past. It's only alluded to by other characters. So he could have easily just popped into existence at some point. Sure. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And so he's given the manuscript by uh, King. I was going to say Kent. Yeah. By Kane. And now within the context of the movie, this is the old ones trying to get the book in the math of madness into the real world. So, uh, normal people can read it. There's a movie deal. So other people can just watch the movie, non book readers. Um, and every person that reads the book or watches the movie, if they believe it, it, it gives power to the old ones, whatever. And, uh, that's their key into getting into the real world. Um, so Trent getting bringing the manuscript to the real world is a, a bad thing. I don't know if John Trent believes that at this point. I don't think he does. I don't still don't think he does. But he doesn't like he doesn't want the manuscripts. This has been a huge hassle and a trouble. He just wants to get the fuck out of here. So he's he drives off, he goes through the tunnel, he still has the book, and Be, then he being drops chased, it. being chased by all these by like the these like creatures. These monsters. Yeah, yeah, these creatures down this long like this long, you know, hallway. Uh, he ends up falling. I think he he's out, he, like he wakes t- up and then he's he's at, he's basically out of Hobbs End. Right. And this is when he sees just a just you know here's the bicycle with the little you know the little cart on the spokes and it's a different bikes bicycle though different bicycle different, different kid. cards yeah different different kid. kid you know so um ask the kid if he's ever heard of Hobbs End no. <laughs> I mean, the billion books have been sold. I wouldn't be surprised if the kid maybe had some idea what Hobbs End was. But yeah, but he's he knows he's back in the real world. Yeah, right. No Hobbs End exists in New Hampshire. Yeah, um, he has the manuscript though. Drops it. I love the fact that he just drops it. Like screw this, I don't want to deal with it. And then he just kind of starts walking to town. Gets picked up. Uh, gets taken to like the nearest diner or whatever. Right? Does he go to the diner? I don't know. I don't think he goes to the diner. I he think he's something. I think he, he made like that hotel, up. motel, or whatever. Right. Oh, that's right. He does. And then, yeah, uh, he's, yeah. It's he's given the manuscript in some way. Yeah, he yeah he's staying in some yeah some flea bag whatever motel. Uh, he goes to do oh he goes to buy a newspaper, and the kid at the front goes oh Mr. Trent you have a package and then of course he opens it up it's the, you know it's it's the book. You know, he grabs the kid, you know, who the hell brought this? You know, um, the kid doesn't know because he wasn't there. It was like the father who who got it. And so he goes to burn it up in the, in the sink inside the room. Yeah. He does you a know. good job of it, too. It's destroyed. Yeah. yeah. Gone. Well, we th- yeah. Um, and then uh, he goes to the publishing CEO guy. Yep. Uh, Charles. 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 Charles Heston. Heston. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he explains the full story, except uh, Linda Stiles doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh he he was given the uh the manuscript 
months ago. Months, I mean, like six months or something. The movie's coming out next month. The book's been on the shelves for a long time. It's yeah. sold a ton a of copies. Ton, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, so there's like this huge time violation that's happened. Trent's already delivered the manuscript, apparently. Uh, the book's on the shelves. Like, basically, the apocalypse is coming. Yeah, mass hysteria is definitely hit. Trent has no idea what happened. Time just disappeared for him. And then, uh, you know, he uh, goes to, like, the uh, maybe the same bookstore we saw towards the beginning of the movie. He has an axe. He's starting to look crazy. And then he chops a, a random kid up. Yeah. I, I, I think as an attempt to maybe stop what's about to happen. But then he's taken to the insane asylum. We're back out where we were at the start of the movie. Yes. And then uh, all hell breaks loose. Almost, all hell breaks uh, loose. Yeah. Literally. The, 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 the investigator doesn't really believe any of it. Um, leaves shortly thereafter. I, I, well, I actually almost think the investigator does believe it. Because he just kind of silently walks away. You think so? You think he yeah. believes it? I mean, it's end times out there. And uh, you've got this doctor... character almost have like a logical explanation, crazy as it is, for all of it. But doesn't the doctor ask him? Uh, he asks him a question. I can't remember what he asks him, but it has something to do with you know the books or something. And he just kind of gives him a... Uh... Yeah, the doctor asks him if he's read any of Kane's works. Yeah. And the, doc- yeah. And the investigator doesn't say anything. Nothing. Just kind of walks off. Yeah. Um, we know, I think lights go out. There's, um, you know, there's uh, look, something definitely is happening inside the hospital. We don't really see it. Um, does the door open and he, the door is like banged up pretty good. And so he was able to just leave. Yeah. Leaves. There does. It looks like there's, it looks like there's absolutely no one inside this hospital, um, or this asylum, whatever. And, uh, you know, paper is everywhere. Yep. Um, he, you know, he, he, he leaves, right? Yep. He goes into town and um, walks past a movie theater that happens to be playing in the mouth of madness and decides to go in and grab himself a tub of popcorn. Well, there's also on the poster, Linda Styles' his name, his name, John Trent. You know, it's his likeness on the poster. Yeah. So, true. you know, it's. I didn't see it, the names. Did it say? See yeah, the, I did. The names. Of the, I, I mean, definitely the likeness was him, but I didn't see the names. No, John Trent. Oh Linda gosh, Stiles that's were there. funny. I didn't catch that. Um, yeah, and then he sees the movie, and he sees our movie, <laughs> and then he, you know, what other conclusion is there other than he was, you know, part of this fiction? Yeah, you know, and then he just laughs like a maniac. <laughs> uh, who knows what that means? Maybe he's just laughing at the absurdity of it all, the truth of it. That he's he's the only sane person in this whole. In this whole, you know, universe. Right. He might be the only person who knows ex- exactly what's going on besides like Sutter Kane, who we know is now with the old ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I kind of love or, what or this, this movie's doing. Or this is still just the character that it has been written and this is what he was supposed to do. I, I don't know. See, I'm curious, you know, if there was an In the Mouth of Madness 2, um, you know, is there any sort of more story being told from the perspective of Kane for John Trent? Or is now John Trent his own person? Is he free to do whatever he wants? You know, I think that's like an interesting question. Yeah. Um, or does he just stop existing just like Linda Styles? You know, probably the latter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I find that question very interesting because reality is only what you make of it. Like the movie says. And here John Trent is being faced with the, the fact that he is a fictional character, but he seems to be existing anyway. So what does that mean for your own reality? It's it's still true, isn't it? Yeah. Even if, uh, you know, your universe is deterministic, 
it still exists. So, you know, the manuscript, as far as we know, only goes as far as the movie goes. So does John Trent stop existing when the movie ends and the credits start to play? Or does he exist past that? Does it matter? Yeah. I don't know. Like the movie is doing like kind of almost in a roundabout way, asking these metaphysical questions about just the nature of being. And, you know, I had a good time trying to answer those questions. Answers I don't know. But thank you for making me ask them. Um, Yeah. So I I like this movie quite a bit. Um, And I can understand why people wouldn't like this movie. (laughs) Um, But uh, I think even if you're watching this movie for just one performance, Samuel kills it. He's hilarious. He plays up the madness really, really well. Yeah. Um, Oh, he does. He's really good in it. And, you know, I mean, if if anything, if you're not a fan of Sam Neill, and if you're a fan of John Carpenter, then, you know, I mean, you're not going to be disappointed. It's it's a it's a good uh, it's a good John Carpenter movie. It's not you know it's not his best, but it's still uh, it's still a very good uh, you know flick. You know, so um, so yeah. I mean, I would definitely recommend it, especially if you are a fan of John Carpenter. And I know there's a lot of people out there um, that are. I say this is a must watch. Um, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. Um, what about you know i i mean i know you like this so i I know you would recommend it Mm -hmm. yeah you should absolutely watch this movie um there's not a lot of uh, good lovecraftian movies out there i think this is one of them so if you're at all a fan of that type of horror check this out yeah anything else uh anything else we missed I'm sure there's plenty of things we missed, but yeah, there I was talked a, about most of what I wanted to talk there was about a, here. There was one line that, that we didn't talk about. I really, I really liked, I liked it when I initially saw it and I liked it again when I rewatched it was when she was going, Linda was going to the church and those kids were behind her. And uh, oh my gosh, when the, the girl says something like, uh, you know, you're my mommy and today's mommy's and day. Today's mommy's <laughs> day. That was, that was, uh, that was eerie. Uh, I don't know. Other than that, I think that was all. I just had to talk about that because I, I just, I, I, I loved that line. So I love kids saying weird stuff. I do too. It's so creepy. And they were already looking creepy already. So, yeah. you know, at night in front of an old church. Yeah. But, uh, all right, man. Well, I guess that's going to do it. Nothing else. No, no. Cool. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. Um, thanks for, uh, joining us and listening. Uh, next, uh, uh next time I think we're going to be talking about, uh, uh, the classic. We're finally going to be doing a classic, which is uh, 1973's The Exorcist. Um, we're going to be doing that uh, with uh, Darren and uh, Shaylee Lindsay. They're going to be our guests. And and uh, I look forward to talking about that one because that is my uh, ultimate. Uh, that's, to me, it's, it's the greatest horror movie, I think, that uh, that that exists. It's it, To me, it's almost an absolute perfect movie. Um, so I'm eager and excited to talk about that one. Um, so, yeah. So come back and uh, give us a listen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us at both Twitter and Instagram at Ear for Fear. You can also check out our website, earforfear.com. There you can purchase merch and stay up to date on current episodes as well as news and events. We hope you come back and get an earful. See you soon.